The Invincible Teams podcast is powered by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork, training, and consulting to help your team thrive in every season. If you want to have a team that makes other leaders jealous, get started by going to their website in the show notes and scheduling your free consultation today. Welcome to Invincible Teams, a podcast for team leaders and business owners who are tired of dealing with drama and politics, high turnover, and teams not meeting their potential. We know that team leaders and business owners like you are pretty much always under pressure to get the most out of your teams. And we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. Welcome back to the Invincible Teams podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mayfield. Today, I've got an interview to share with you with author Paul Axtell. Uh, Paul has written a lot of different books, and uh, I want to talk to him today about meetings. You know, many of us have uh, a lot of meetings, and sometimes those meetings are in person. Now, a lot of them are online, virtual, and most people I know aren't just super excited about meetings, looking forward to the next meeting they have. Most people feel like they have too many meetings or these meetings don't matter. And that's exactly what my conversation with Paul is about here. It's about making meetings matter. In fact, that's the title of one of his books is Make Meetings Matter. Uh, And so we had a great conversation about a lot of different types of meetings, really practical things that people can do to make meetings matter. Uh, And I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from Paul on this. He does have a lot of different um, works, books, uh, things that you can check out. We'll link to all of those in the show notes. Paul was an incredible guest. He's very passionate about meetings. So passionate, in fact, that you're probably going to hear him pounding on his desk in just about every answer that he gives, uh, just because he is so passionate about this. And so uh, it was, like I said, a great conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. Here it is, my conversation with Paul Axtell. Okay, Paul Axtell, welcome to Invincible Teams Podcast. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. Good. I'm uh, looking forward to talking about this. I've been a yeah. lot of time talking about meetings because <laughs> with the pandemic, for the first time, people actually, I think, got reinterested in how to make meetings work. Yeah. So there's, I think, a big benefit to what we've been through. So looking forward to this conversation, Ryan. Yeah, I am too. I think before I jump into some of the questions, I want to ask you, has anybody over your career and just, you know, your focused time talking about meetings, anybody given you any nicknames or monikers uh, to fit your expertise? No, I think the meetings is kind of a late springboard that I took because I'm basically interested in how to be remarkable, whatever you tend to do. So meetings is one place we could apply that. So I couldn't call you the meeting master. That wouldn't, that wouldn't fit. <laughs> I mean, people do say meeting guru. And I, it's one of the things I'm pretty proud of. The, you know, in the beginning, it was like, could I get the Harvard Business Review to do an article for me? I just thought that would be prestigious. We're now to a place where they say, hey, would you write on this? Yeah. Um, so in some ways, I've kind of achieved that 15 minutes of fame with respect to meetings. <laughs> um, sure. And that's well, how give us find me too. Yeah, well, give us the full scope. Uh, tell people who you are and, and what you do, and um, yeah, we'll go from there. 
Okay, good. Well, I'm basically an engineer by training. I went to South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. I'm a chemical engineer. I then worked for Monsanto for a long time, engineering, manufacturing, basically a manufacturing guy. So I like practical things. I believe in tracking and measuring. If you want something to happen, you have to track and measure it. So I would basically say that I'm basically a trainer corporations for the most part, universities, few not-for-profit. And the themes would be conversations all you've got to have life turn out. And particularly in an organization, if you want to get noticed, you want to get ahead, it's all about meeting skills. That's it. Mm. Now you have to be good at your core discipline, but after IT or accounting or engineering, you better have process skills. Mm. Um, second, I really think that everybody wants to be remarkable and it's possible. So I think people mm. are unique and talented and want to be seen as such. I think that's mm. just kind of a given. I also think that for the most part, being really, really good is pretty simple. There's just a few critical variables in every discipline that if you get somebody to teach you what to pay attention to and what to practice, you'll get good. That holds mm. in sporting clay shootings, golf, leading meetings, mm. being a father. There are a limited number of critical variables and most people simply don't know what they are. So in some ways, what I do is common sense. And as soon as people hear it, they say, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know <laughs> heard that many times, but they haven't been given the way to put it into practice. So I would say author, trainer, and I'm basically, I mean, I love kids and I love, my niche has always been guy, technical people, hmm. because now and I know we have to be careful with stereotypes, but basically little boys are raised to play and compete. Hmm. Little girls are raised to train and nurture. And that's hmm. why if you look at empathy, women have it. Men don't. There's no empathy <laughs> in football. Sorry. And so you have guys who are brilliant, but they don't get any training when they're growing up or in a technical discipline that tells them how mm. to collaborate or be mm. dads or team leaders. So that's kind of been my niche. Yeah. Well, that's a great insight because um, I, I can totally see that. And typically, yeah, again, with your caveat on stereotypes, um, typically, at least in what I see, women are better at collaborating in those work environments. And, um, and so, yeah, I totally see that. Um, so, you know, you have this theme of, of being remarkable and I want to get back to that towards the, the end of the podcast, but let's take it down to, you know, you're talking about being remarkable in conversations, in meetings, and uh, you've got several different books and publications around that. Uh, one of those, it's just the idea of making meetings matter, right? right. Um, and so I want to ask you first kind of the opposite question here of why do meetings not matter? What happens in most companies or teams that makes meetings just the thing that people don't look forward to? Yeah, good question. Well, I, th I think if you look at the conversations that are in the hallway about meetings, we have too many meetings. I've got to take work home because I don't get time to focus on it during the day. Hmm. My boss is terrible at leading meetings. People are dominating certain conversations. So there's just a set of complaints in hmm. most organizations. And if you live inside of a series of complaints, that's where your attitude goes. So now hmm. people don't have an empowering attitude toward meetings, which means they don't prepare. They take other work. They hmm. don't speak up if something needs to be said. 
So uh, we've just kind of drifted hmm. nonchalantly. Um, one of the themes in life with respect to being remarkable is that anytime you get familiar with something, you start to take it for granted. And when you and I take something for granted, you're not good with it. That's hmm. why we make more mistakes with our family members than we do with colleagues. Why? Because we take the people we live with for granted and we say things and do things we would never sure. do. Yeah. Uh, so when you start to take meetings for granted, then you start acting consistent with this doesn't matter. Mm. In terms of an organization's results, they've always mattered. Mm. Imagine being a project leader. If you don't have really good meetings, you have no chance. No yeah. chance. Right, right. So we've just kind of drifted. I think it's like the air you breathe and you don't see that you are breathing air until you can't catch your breath. And again, I think that's one of the things the pandemic does. Maybe for the first time we realize we've been putting up with meetings and now with the whole remote thing, okay, yeah, it's okay. We're on a learning curve. We all got to learn. We can get better. It's okay to ask for what you want. So yeah, yeah. easy well, to turn around. <laughs> so what it sounds like you're saying is a it's largely an issue of attitude. Is that all there is to it? Or is there more than that? Well, let's say that attitude is more important than anything else. You could adopt all the strategies, tactics, and techniques, and your meetings will not get better if the person leading and the participants don't come in with the proper way of thinking. Hmm. And if we look at participants, so let's just say attitude from a leader's point of view, if they would simply adopt the attitude, I'm responsible for the time and talent in this meeting, and I will not disrespect it. Hmm. They would do meetings differently. Sure. And every person who walked into a meeting said, I choose to own whether this meeting turns out or not. Mm. They would so it is attitude or ownership or how you frame the meetings that you attend. Sure. sure. If you don't do that, then you can try all these techniques and tactics, but it won't do any make any difference. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying the attitudes almost empower the tactics, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that you say uh, is that meetings are at the heart of effective organizations. What do you mean by that? Well, if you start at the top of aspirations, organizational initiatives, long-term goals, yearly goals. So you've got the future laid out, the possibilities laid out. Well, then how do you get down to where are people going to do this week that moves those aspirations, strategies, strategic plans? Well, it's basically a series of meetings where you get alignment, you get clarity on the path forward. And then most importantly, people agree to take specific actions in time to move those projects forward. So from strategic plans and aspirations to what do we do this week, the meeting is where the execution gets laid out in terms of specific actions in time. Mm. So... Uh, you know, the the title of the book is Make Meetings Matter. And I find that interesting. It's not, uh, you know, meetings matter, do meetings matter. Um, it's make meetings matter. So, so if somebody's listening to this who has a team who leads meetings, how do they make meetings matter? Well, good question. I mean, we probably came up with the title just because we wanted alliteration, you know, three words in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I think 
if you look at the complaints that people have about meetings, the three most common complaints are somebody dominates the conversation and nobody does anything about it. Mm. And the second is my boss is terrible at meetings. <laughs> yeah. And the third is we keep talking about the same thing. We don't make progress between meetings. Mm-hmm. Well, just go to the second one. My boss is terrible about meetings now. And I haven't seen a lot, but I've probably seen 20 organizations, competency charts. This is the competencies that we want people to develop. You know, maybe it's confronting, maybe it's, I don't know. There is no competency listed on any of those I've seen that says meeting skills. None. Mm, Right. It's like because you saw a meeting one time, you were capable of designing and leading a meeting. I don't (laughs) think so. Um, So in terms of making it matter, the simplest way would be for the leadership saying, you know, let's work on meetings. I'm going to start with myself. Hmm. And every month I'm going to be working on one thing. Maybe it's calling on meetings. Maybe it's making sure everybody gets in that needs to get in. Maybe it's making sure we leave with specific commitments and time at the end of every topic. But this is what I'm working on for a month. And then they, number one, if they say they're working on it, it makes it okay for other people to work on it. Number two, mm. they're setting up this conversation about let's get better, but let's pick on the critical variables for getting better. One of the things we've done in the past is we've, a lot of people have put in, well, let's take five minutes at the end of every meeting saying what worked and what didn't work. That mm. is a waste of time. Hmm. People know it's just something you do before you get out the door. And in five minutes, how could you absolutely cover anything? <laughs> So it's like, okay, let's get to work on it. The other thing I would be, I think, from a leader point of view is make sure that the person who's leading the matter is good at it. And if that's not you, and if it's not your forte, not your passion, I wouldn't lead it. Hmm. I also think in many organizations, I would put the junior person and have them design and leading meetings. Why? They need Hmm. the skill forever. Yeah. And what better place to do it? So I think the top has just got to say, let's get good at this. Sure. So, but what you're not saying is that if you can't lead a meeting well, you can't lead, right? Like those, those can be separated. You can delegate that out. Oh, absolutely. If you think about, I like to split life into what am I passionate about and what's noise to me? And we all have parts of our life that we're passionate about and parts are noise. Well, who says that the leader has to be passionate about meetings? Nobody. <laughs> he might be passionate about customers or quality right. or, you know, the future. Hmm. But I would like, because if meetings are really at the heart of execution, let's have somebody who's got some passion about it, design and lead the meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'd actually prefer the leader just listen because hmm. their attention is so important. I don't want them distracted by getting through the agenda. Yeah. And people in every meeting need feedback. Well, if you're sitting back watching, okay, I know Ryan probably needs to be told that he gets a little defensive when somebody challenges his ideas. So I'm going to give him a note after the meeting to take a look at this. So Hmm. yeah, absolutely. If you look at leadership, it's got a whole set of domains and one of them is trust and respect. And one of the pillars of trust and respect is, are you competent? Well, competent at what? Competent at the discipline you're leading, competent at dealing with people, competent at formulating strategic plans. 
competent at leading meetings. You don't have to be competent at it all. You've got to be probably pretty good. But if you don't have a passion around meeting design, ask somebody else to do it. Yeah. Well, and I love that too, just because I think, and I've seen this, a lot of leaders, especially entrepreneurs that start new things, their skill set isn't necessarily management or or you know execution. It's more the vision and the dreaming and the energy, which doesn't always translate well into leading a meeting um, for the people in the meeting or for themselves either, right? And so, I love the idea of being able to delegate that out and and have it be someone else's meeting, even though the leader is you know, still the leader. Yeah. And that kind of holds true all across project management. You have idea people, but you also just need some people who get things done. Right. And I don't care if you ever have an idea, if you're on my team, if I can give you something and you deliver time after time, I'll take 10 of those people versus the 10 people who are overly passionate about it. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I love another thing you said at the very beginning, you were talking about, um, if a leader is working on meetings, making meetings better, right? Making them matter, uh, then it's okay for other people to do that too. They kind of take it as permission. And, and I love the transparency in that, right? And so for anybody that's listening, that's thinking, yeah, our meetings are no good. Um, would it be fair to say, hey, be transparent about this. Tell your people, I know our meetings haven't been great. I'm working on making them better. Would you say that? I would say that. Um, I would also say if we broaden that to all development, I don't think people ought to have a sign in their back called kick me. <laughs> but I do think that if you got feedback and you're working on it, you shouldn't do it hidden with it in your pocket. If you got feedback mm. that you need to be more of a team player, I would walk into my team and say, you know what? I got feedback that I appreciate that I need to be more of a team player. I mm. need to listen more. I need to take on more work for others. I need to make sure... So I just want you to know, I'm working on that. And three months from now, I would like to ask the group, have I actually got that done? Hmm. It just gives so much more freedom like and, and fresh air to a room, right? Whenever mm-hmm. you know that the person knows. Yes. <laughs> it's like um, I get a lot of people ask me about speaking with impact and speaking in meetings. And a lot of times English is their second language. Hmm. So one of the reasons they don't speak up or they speak quietly is they're worried about how their English is. Right. Well, wow. What a gift. You, you and I are not worrying about that. We're in awe of the fact that they can speak English at all. You know, we can't <laughs> right. speak Chinese or, but if they would say, I just want everybody to know that I'm working on my English and I'm going to, I've got things I want to say. So, but just please hang with me. You know, people yeah. love, underdogs they love people who are willing to be vulnerable and transparent and the moment that person says i'm working on my english they're no longer worried about their english right right no that's great that's great you know another thing that i have um learned with meetings or or heard people talk about is that one of the things that helps meetings matter is when there's something on the line right meetings can be boring or feel unnecessary whenever it's just like, why are we meeting? There's nothing, nothing on the line. Um, and so talk about that for a second. What do you think the role of, of conflict or, or weight, you know, uh, is for a meeting? Well, we're mixing language now. Okay. Um, 
clearly, if we take the first idea, which I truly endorse, if you don't have something at stake, then nothing's worth doing. Hmm. Um, and maybe that's your reputation. Maybe it's you consider you're somebody that keeps your word all the time. And so being up against a deadline, you know, deadlines are really empowering. Um, but also when you've got something at stake, like if you play poker, when you have actual money in the pot, you pay attention, you listen differently, you notice things. If you're just playing for matchsticks, you know, yeah. Talk to me about baseball while we're playing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I think clearly, if you have an agenda of an hour, 40 minutes ought to be about things that there's an at-stakeness there. We need to produce this. Mm. Then if you want to add 10, 15 minutes of information sharing, social connecting, fine. But mm. for the most part, people, you want meetings that people don't want to miss. Mm. Now, the second thing about conflict, I think that's overrated. Um, I think you do want back and forth. I think you do want ideas pushed back and forth. Um, but all the research says that if people are concerned for their psychological safety, they won't mm -hmm. speak. Right, right. And I mean, it's really not going to be unsafe, but some people didn't get raised with families that argue. Some right. people are quiet and reflective. So, and I mean, we all basically, not all, that's a, shouldn't use... Roger, most of us got raised to avoid confrontation. Sure. So if we change the term conflict to back and forth, mm. that's where clarity comes. That's where alignment comes. That's where better ideas come. Right. Um, and in fact, if you look at diversity, you want people who have different experiences growing up, technical background, non-technical background, gender, because you want different points of view, but you need them expressed. Right. Um, I think that's, you know, there's a distinction that's been lost about the difference between a discussion and a dialogue. And I like it because the dialogue says we're in this conversation in a way that thinking emerges in the group that nobody walked in with. Hmm. Okay. This discussion is the thinking we all walked in with, who wins? Hmm. A dialogue is trying to get some thinking to emerge from the group. Hmm. Yeah. So if I don't mind using the word conflict, except, I mean, if you look at really good engineering teams, they argue and then they go have a beer. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's really, we argue and then we go have a beer. Well, okay, good. If there's five or six or seven of you and you know each other well and you like each other, then that arguing is done inside of a relationship that'll hold. Right. It. You have a group of 20 people. I bet there's not enough relationship to hold arguing. Mm, that's a great distinction. Like the, not only just the size, but just the idea that the relationship has to be able to sustain the conflict or the arguing. Right. Um, yeah. So I love that. That's great. And not have it mean anything other than we got excited about right. the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you have another um, book uh, here that is uh, is out now, and you said has been like kind of spurred on uh, recently by you know 2020 and pandemic and all that. Um, but it's the idea of making virtual meetings matter, right? And you know the title and subtitle is is make virtual meetings matter: how to turn virtual meetings from status updates to remarkable conversations. Uh, and it's almost the same as the first book, but just with the word virtual, right? And so um, why do you think this is so important? And, and why did you have to write a whole separate book about it? Um, well, I wrote a separate book about it because my publisher thought there was a market there. <laughs> um, I think your publisher's right, just to yeah. be clear. 
So we added a chapter up front about the difference. And then in each chapter, we added tips around virtual meetings. Ah, I see. um, Well, why does it matter? A couple things. Number one, irritants that people put up with in face-to-face meetings and adapted to, all of a sudden were highlighted remotely. Hmm. So all of a sudden, people were concerned about do you have the technology? Do you have the bandwidth? Can you hear me? Can you see me? Right. What's the background that you've got? So all of a sudden, people were now interested first with technology about does it work for the people who are dialing in? Mm-hmm. Interesting as a, a rabbit hole, but it used to be I worked with a lot of IT folks who were responsible for the IT in boardroom conversations. So you, so you have mm-hmm. board of directors that come in. And of course, all the focus is, do we have the technology in the room, boardroom, so that everybody can be heard? And nobody cared about the people dialing, whether they had good headsets (laughs) technology. Right. Um, So all of a sudden, first with technology, we got interested in what's the experience of people who are dialing in. Mm -hmm. Also, for the first time, manager said, is it working for you? Hmm. Right. So all of a sudden, we've got a conversation going about, are the meetings working? And then the world had this conversation. So things like Zoom fatigue became part of the lexicon. Well, I don't know that there was actually such a thing, real or perceived, but it's kind of bannered out there. Well, all of a sudden now, if you look at that, managers start worrying about how many meetings they call and do they stop and end on time? Right. Um, So there are some legitimate concerns. If we look at how Zoom meetings or Remote meetings should be different. They take longer to have conversations. Hmm. So you should have fewer agenda items and more time for each item. Hmm. Secondly, it also brought something I'm very interested in is that when you and I are distracted, we're not good. Mm-hmm. Right. Multitasking is a myth. You can't do two things at the same time. All of a sudden, when people can't be seen because they've got their video off, mm-hmm. people can actually treat meetings less like they matter because they can say, well, you know, I want to get credit for being there, so I'll sign in, but I've got other work to do, and I'll play with my kids and all this yeah. and get credit. So in some ways, it heightened, that'd be on the negative side. On the positive side, people became aware of how distracting the world is for them and that it keeps them from fully participating. Mm-hmm. So people start setting up their own little rooms for this. We got their kids off in a space. So that's one of the things I think that changed is that the whole distraction thing became more apparent. Right. I think the other thing that is interesting, I wrote a couple articles for airlines and they always come back and say, but you got to make it clear that people need to meet face to face because we want people flying to go to conferences. Right. <laughs> um, and that's actually true. The biggest loss with remote learning is a social connection hmm. or the conversation you have in the hallway during a break. You quickly turn to somebody next to you and catch right. up on how their son is doing. And there's a lot of people who think organizational work is a place to be part of a community hmm. and to have other adult conversations. Mm -hmm. That's lost. If you think about what allows, we go back, Ryan, to psychological safety, which Mm -hmm. is true of teams. Teams have broad participation and psychological safety. Group size and being close enough to feel intimate. So five of us in a small conference room, we're going to have psychological safety. And you're not going to pull other work out and work in front of me in a group of five it's right. too obvious. <laughs> so now if you look at Zoom calls, 
there's no sense of intimacy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we lose this connection. Right. And when we lose connection, we stop feeling a part of things and we are not willing to be vulnerable. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I have seen that for sure. Um, I, I don't know if you've had any um, notable experiences with any uh, of those things in any meetings that you've been in uh, on Zoom, virtual or whatever, but I've had, I've had someone get pulled over and get a ticket while uh, in a meeting. Um, I had somebody that actually wrecked their car while they were in a meeting. Um, but one of my favorite things to do is in the meetings that I lead, sometimes I'll, I'll end the meeting, but then I'll leave the call open to see who doesn't get off the meeting. Because <laughs> then I know that they're not paying attention at all. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny sometimes to, to see. It's like, okay, I know, I know who was here and who really wasn't. Um, but I also, you know, you talk about that psychological safety and, and the idea of just, you didn't use these words, but kind of the water cooler talk, right? Yeah. That, that builds that up. What do you think about the attempts that some teams and, and companies are putting out there to create that in a virtual space, you know, virtual happy hours and um, commute call-ins and all those kind of different ideas. Do you think those things work? I think they do. Um, <clears throat> if we go away from virtual to the face-to-face meetings, I think one of the advantages of meetings or opportunities is this is a place where people can build their network because people aren't on softball teams anymore and they don't want to go to picnics. They want to get home to their families and they want to mm. work out. So the thinking was go to every meeting 10 minutes early and hang around 10 minutes afterwards, walk to and from meetings with people and build mm-hmm. your relationship, build your network in meetings. Mm-hmm. Take notes about all new people and what you can learn about them. Okay, so that was something we were working on before we started working remotely. Mm-hmm. Okay, with remote, it doesn't work quite the same way because you have people listening in. So when I teach on a break, somebody will come up to the front of the classroom and talk to me. Right. If somebody else wants to talk to me, they will stand 10 feet away so I can see them but they will not intrude on the space between I right. and first person. Hmm. Yeah. Remotely, people are there. Right. Unless you go to a separate room. Um, right. I do think, if on one side, I really do think meetings ought to be driven. Get in, get the work done, and get out. Mm-hmm. So opening up half hour early so people could chat or having an hour where anybody can check in and it's football it's whatever you want to talk about it's talking about what your kids done i think that's important Hmm. um now i also think one of the things about meetings is there's been some myths that we propagated that we they constrain us but we don't realize they're there one of them is you can't call on people wow you're hamstrung if you're a leader and you can't call on people the other Mm -hmm. is if if we do introductions we got to go around the room Mm -hmm. well four of you that might work you got 20 of you you've wasted an hour if you go around the room right right same way if we come back to so i lead some meetings that are worldwide maybe 20 30 people and we get on early and we mm-hmm. stay as long as somebody wants to chat. Once the meeting starts, we're going to stay on the agenda. Mm-hmm. But I always start with, I'd like three people to catch me up on what's happening with you in your country. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And you've each got two minutes. Yeah. Now, there's 20, 30 people there. 
but there's something called Ryan called allow the group conversation to speak for you. And mm. so that's what we're doing. I'd like three of you because we want to be connected. So I'm asking three people to catch us up. If there's any of the rest of you have something that's so important or you're excited about that you must say, okay, then we'll find time for you too. But we are not, you know, life is not fair. We are not going around the room because <laughs> we're meeting um, to produce something. And there's probably half the people in the room that are uh, incredibly happy to hear that you're not going to go around the room and call <laughs> yeah. everybody, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. No, I, I love those little little tidbits and, and kind of tips there. It, I mean, I'm just going to keep asking, I guess, are there any other just little kind of nuggets like that, that when, when you think about who might be listening to this business owners, team leaders that are trying to navigate this world of remote meetings, what are other little tips and tricks that you have that could really make a difference for people? Well, first of all, for the people who are not leading the meeting, we go back to this attitude or mindset you've got about meetings. I mentioned that I need leaders to call on people. Why? Because you will not get broad participation unless you call on people. So you don't want to call on them to wake them up. You don't want to call on them because you think they're multitasking. You don't. Mm. So you want to think strategically, who do I need in each of the conversations today? Mm. And then invite them in. Mm. Now, why is this important? Because people walk in with a mindset that they don't know they've got, Ryan, which is I don't have to speak if I don't feel like it. Everybody mm. walks into every meeting with that thinking. I don't have to speak if I don't feel like it. Right. Well, there you go. You're not going to get broad participation. Some people don't want to speak because they're worried about English. Some people don't want to speak because they know other people are going to dominate the conversation. Mm. Some people don't want to speak because they didn't get the agenda ahead of time and they're not sure where they're thinking it. Right. Some people don't want to speak because they've got another meeting back to back and they don't want to be the cause of this one running over. Right. And yet, if you're interested in very good teams, you must have broad participation. If you want this dialogue impact of where the conversation mm. might go, you need broad participation. So... My view is if you go to a meeting and don't speak, you should not go. Mm. End of story. Hmm. You Because we also need smaller groups. And if you're not going to speak, yeah. okay, there's one way for us to get smaller. It's also sure. one of the irritations that people have is there are people attending a meeting who don't need to be there. Yeah. They could have just got the information in an email, right? Yeah. Or they just want to hang out or, you know, they weren't doing anything else. They had nothing at stake. So, okay, we'll go here. So. That would be one. I think the other one that's worth emphasizing is the biggest piece that keeps things from happening in life is people do not put a date on what that which they promise. Mm. So we make commitments with no dates. Um, yeah, I'll look into that. Seems like a good idea. Let me check with the group. Those are not commitments. I would right. check with the group and I will get back on Friday at one o'clock. Mm. So the buy when is missing. And in at least in the United States, and that's not true of every place, but in the United States, you don't have to keep your word as long as mm. you have a good excuse for not keeping it, mm. including other things came up. I'm on too many teams. I didn't get yeah. enough sleep. I didn't get the meeting notes. I didn't know you meant that, or I knew Ryan wasn't going to get that part done, so you wouldn't need this part. Right. Hmm. So 
If you look at the set of actions determined by a project team at the end of this meeting, if you want to be remarkable, 85% of those items are completed by the next meeting. Most mm. teams struggle to get 50%. And the number one reason why they don't get there is they're not putting specific dates on when you will do something. Mm, yeah. So that would be, and that's the biggest cultural thing that's missing. I've never seen it in place anywhere. Mm. That people why because it looks like micromanaging it looks like not trusting hmm. but notice when you and i set up this conversation we narrowed it down to a day and what time yeah we say hey let's get together sometime next week okay good no um <laughs> so that's the obvious piece and if you also look at let's put it in a different context people's reputation you know people in your life ryan that if they say they'll do something it's a done deal yeah. You also know certain people that if they say they'll get back to you, they'll get back to you. Yeah. And we got the rest of the world where it's maybe, we'll see, hope so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you kind of know whenever somebody says, well, let me, let me think about it. And you're like, yeah, they're not going to think about it. <laughs> no, no, really. Yeah. I mean, in the NFL, you know, if the running back goes down in the forward yard line because the side comes up, do they give him credit for getting in the end zone? No, they don't. Right. I don't right. care how good his excuse is, you don't score. Right. And yeah. yet in business, we let people get off easily. Right. Well, you talk a lot about uh, this being remarkable thing, and I don't want to end the conversation without giving you a chance to, to talk a little bit more about that. So, um, yeah, tell us more about being remarkable and how people can connect with you on that idea and, and learn more about it. Okay. We'll actually have a small booklet called being remarkable. There's a video series that goes with it. Um, so it was set up to be a two year development program where you pick one idea and work on it a month and you work on for 24 months. Mm. Um, it's the key variables with respect to being a team key variables with respect to relationships, key variables with respect to managing yourself. So here's the things that would, if you pay attention to these, it'll make a big difference. Uh, the thinking behind it is, I remember doing three consecutive workshops, Ryan, one on listening, which is the most important and personal skill, mm. one on high performance teams, mm -hmm. and one on being remarkable and offered these at a university, each two and a half hours long, three consecutive days, 40 people signed up to the listening, 35 people signed up for the high performing teams, 176 people signed up for being remarkable. Wow. Wow. Which just for me says, okay, yeah. And the idea actually came a long time ago. There was an Al Cap cartoon and guys, I forget the guy's name, laying on the sofa. And the caption read, nothing is so ordinary is the thought about being extraordinary. Mm, okay. And then I will actually watched a retail consultant and he was in the conversation will the brick and mortar places ever come back or mm -hmm. how do you survive in the commodity kind of business world respect mm -hmm. to retail he says one thought everybody wants to be treated as unique and talented and treated as such that's mm -hmm. you and me and if we can find a retailer that treats us as unique and talented we'll go there right um, so that's the basic idea. And then the other idea comes from, actually, I'm a big fan of Jeff Calvin's book, Talent is Overrated. Okay. And he's basically saying, Tiger Woods says the same thing. Tiger Woods wasn't Tiger Woods because he was more talented 
than anybody else. He simply got 12,000 hours of deliberate practice in before he was 14. <laughs> you got 12,000 hours in under the eye of somebody who knew what they're doing. Right. You'd be good too. Huh. So there are a few people in life who are freaky good. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Hidden Figures, which is about the uh-huh. movie NASA yeah. scientists. Okay, there's some math people who are freaky good. Yeah. Um, some chess players who have photographic memories. If you saw the Queen's Gambit. Sure. This ability to visualize. Well, that's not you and me. <laughs> but what separates you and I is attitude, preparation, and practice. Mm-hmm. And if you look at sports, yeah, there's some phenomenal athletes and people who have talent, primarily because they got raised with dads or moms who had talent. <laughs> but then you see the people who just somehow work their way there and they got there because they're gym rats or ballpark rats or right. rats. So that's the thinking that if A, you got the right attitude and you put in the preparation and practice and hours, you can be really good. Hmm. And then the book is about saying, but what do you need to practice and what do you need to work on in the non-sports fields? Sure, sure. So that's the thinking. Well, uh, it sounds very interesting. And I know that you've got several different books and things like that. And we'll link to all that stuff kind of in the show notes so people can can click on those and and hopefully uh, check out a lot of the stuff that that you got going on. So uh, anything else here to kind of land the plane that you think people ought to hear? Well, I think the other thing that um, in the area of relationships, we talked about relationships, people forget how much they matter. Hmm. Um, And so you can't walk past people in life. Hmm. And you've got to be thoughtful about what you say in life. And you can't gossip. And Sometimes, particularly people who are project leaders or supervisors or managers, forget how much it matters if they don't say hello to somebody or they don't make eye contact when they walk into a meeting or they don't ask somebody about their weekend. Because, you know, when you and I go to bed, we know, gosh, we're just kind of, you know, we're not fully developed. We still got work to be done and we don't matter. No, you do matter. And if people were in touch with the fact that they matter, in fact, it was an interesting exercise. Who do you impact directly? Will you impact your family directly? You impact your friends directly. You impact your colleagues directly. But then if you impact your kids, those kids impact their friends. And those friends impact their parents. So if you just keep rippling out the number Mm -hmm. of people that you impact directly or indirectly, is in the thousands. Right. Yeah. And if you were in touch with that, you'd have fewer bad days. You'd say fewer bad things. You wouldn't multitask mm. when you're with other people. You wouldn't check your phone. Um, so I think that's another thing is we just got to remind ourselves that to others, we do matter. Yeah. No matter what we think of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are afraid that they can't afford to, uh, not do those other things. They can't afford to invest in a relationship when the reality of what you're saying is that they can't hardly afford not to. Right. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. Well, um, Paul, I I appreciate again, the time to have the conversation and I think it's been great. I think there's a lot of things that people listening uh, will, will take from this and benefit from, from this conversation. Um, and I hope that they, yeah, check out your work and continue to, to learn about the different things that you uh, obviously have a passion for. And so, yeah, once again, I just appreciate you giving me the time today. Well, you're very welcome. I appreciate the invitation. All right. Thanks, Paul. 
Thanks for listening today to the Invincible Teams podcast. Please consider giving us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you are currently using. If you think today's content might be useful for someone you know, please consider sharing it with them. Just a reminder that the Invincible Teams podcast is brought to you by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork training and consulting to help you eliminate office drama and turnover and help you get the most out of your team. Thanks again for listening. And like we always say, we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. See you next time.